Father, we thank you for this time right now where we get to look at one of the most, two of the most amazing verses in all of Scripture. And there's a lot of amazing verses, but, but this one, we see how special this one is and, and how important it is for our faith, how it, how it retells the gospel in, in very strong terms. And it, and it shapes how we interact both with you and with people around us. What a, great, what a great place to start the rooted journey in memorizing this verse. And so I pray, I pray for those that um, carry burdens of condemnation in here this morning, that, that they would be able to hear how free they are or how free they can be if they ask Christ for forgiveness. And I pray for those of us that have known this verse for a long time that you'd help us see something fresh and new in it because we know that these words are alive. We know you have something you want us to receive today, something you want us to walk into in a greater way today. So I pray that we would. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Okay, Romans 8, 1 and 2, if you're in a rooted group, you should know this, right? So say it with me. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. For in Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit that brings life has set us free from the law of sin and death. Not bad, not bad. You could have been a little louder, but you know, not bad. All right. Alright, that is the verse we're looking at today. If you would turn to Romans 8. Uh, as I pray, this is one of those verses that I think defines who we are as Christians. I mean, it, it's the gospel retold in a very bold way. And uh, as I read this, and even as I think about the first song the worship team did this morning... Uh, that, that line, your love is my jailbreak. I was thinking, man, that is exactly it. That's exactly it. You ever watched a, uh, throughout, throughout American history, there have been some uh, celebrity trials, you know what I mean, where a celebrity does something, uh, they're accused of doing something wrong, and then they go on trial, and, and sometimes they get off, you know, and, and, and we kind of watch the trial and we go, they're guilty. Clearly, they are guilty. That's what we feel like. I mean, who knows if they are or not, we're not God, but... You're watching it, and in your humanness, you say, oh, I know they're guilty. The evidence is so strong. And then they get acquitted, and you go, no, no way. There's no way they could be acquitted. And, and, and I think that, that if you can capture that feeling right there of, of the no way, justice has not been done. You know, someone was biased, or someone botched the case. <clears throat> and then you read Romans 8, and you go, oh, and that's how it is for us. Like, there's no way you're getting off the hook. There's no way you're going to escape all the things that you've done. Some of you are still, like, like, like you can still think about those things you've done, and even in your rooted groups, there's a testimony time to share, you know? And I've already talked to some of you, and you said, those, that testimony time where you've got to go back and look at that stuff, some of that's painful. Some of that brings tears to your eyes. And so the idea of, 
now you're off the hook. You're out of jail. You know, there's no hell for you. There's no, the judge, the, per, the only perfect judge in existence is going to let you go. There's no way. That's not right. This is Romans 8, 1 and 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now, first, I'm just going to break this up in, in parts, these two verses. So we're going to look at it in depth. First word is, therefore. And as I've said before, whenever you see the word therefore, you should ask what it's there for. What, what's it there for? Um, I, I believe this therefore recalls everything that Paul has said about the gospel so far in Romans. I mean, I have a hard time like preaching this and not being like, I just want to go through the whole thing, you know? Like I want to go through all of Romans and like get to this ver- this chapter eight, which is amazing. But so I picked a few verses to kind of lead us into to chapter eight. So if you want to look at these behind me, uh, Romans one uh, in Romans one, Paul says, "I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. First the Jew, then for the Gentile." So first of all, we know this good news, the gospel. Christ died for you and rose from the dead. That's the gospel. We know that it's got power. And we know that it's for everybody. That's good news. Romans 2. But then Paul talks a lot about the bad news. You know, he says, because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's uh, wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will give to each person according to what he has done. You know, so there's, to get to the good news, you've got to tell the bad news first. You're a sinner. You're not getting out of jail for nothing there is wrath in store for you. Then you get to Romans 3, and it says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So there's, there's nobody here that doesn't fall in that category. There's no human being besides Jesus that would fall outside of that, I have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But then he says, and they're justified, that's justified means made not guilty, freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So now we're starting to talk about the good news that we can be free from sin. Romans 4. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. So how, how do I get this forgiveness? How do I receive this no condemnation? You just put your hands out and say, I'll take some, please. That, that's called faith. I believe you want to forgive me. I believe you want to give me grace. And faith is saying, my hands are out, I'll take it. I believe you're going to give it to me. That's the mechanism by which we receive it. Uh, Romans, six, uh, Romans 5 then says, But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So who initiated this whole thing? Like, who made the first step? Did you step towards God or God stepped towards you? And clearly, God stepped towards you. This was God's plan to save you. He wanted you to be one of His kids. And so while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. Now, uh, so, so it's not that, there's, not that the condemnation mean thing, means that, that God, is, I mean, God is ready to judge and send people to hell, but he loves them and would rather them turn to him. Romans 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? So in this part, you're like, Paul's thinking, okay, I know, the good news sounds scandalous. It sounds like you can do anything you want, and if you're a celebrity and you've got enough money, you can get off the hook. No, no, I mean, if you're a Christian you've got enough grace, you can get off the hook. 
You know, it sounds, it, it sounds too good to be true, or it sounds like you could take advantage of this. And Paul's thinking about that, saying, no, no, if God gave you grace to forgive your sins, why would you keep going back to it? You know, that doesn't make any sense. You've been freed from it. Why would you go back? Uh, Romans 7. Uh, so, my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ so that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. So when he says law, we died to the law, he means Moses' law, Ten Commandments, um, and all the other commandments in the Old Testament. But, but you, you, could, you could summarize those commandments in the Ten you could even summarize that by saying, love God and love your neighbor. You know, Jesus summarized it with two. So, you died to the law, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not uh, lie, covet, murder, uh, no graven images, love the Lord your God the most. You know, all that stuff so that you could belong to Jesus. So the example is one of marriage. If I died to the law, now I can get remarried to Christ. He is the focus of my life. And now, after saying all that, you get to Romans 8, and Paul says, therefore, there's now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. You see, after everything he wrote, after he demonstrated that God loves you, that God sent his son for you, that while you were still sinners, Christ died for you, and even though you are a sinner, there's no condemnation. Romans 1, I could have put that up too, where Paul says, those that do such things deserve to die. Like, he lists all these different sins. And he's like, yeah, you, you deserve what you've got coming. Except now there's no condemnation for you. Now, now you get out of jail free. Okay, that's the therefore. Uh, the next word I'll, I'll just let you look at briefly is the now. Uh, or let's talk about condemnation first. Just so, number two is condemnation. Uh, condemnation quickly is a legal term that indicates the sentence and the execution of the sentence. So, when the Bible talks about death, it often has in mind, you know, physical death, but then also spiritual death, which is much worse. You know, one day we all receive a resurrected body. Some of those resurrected bodies will be thrown into a place called hell where they will suffer forever. That's condemnation that we're talking about here. Um, so it's, the legal, it's a legal term that's the sentence. It's the judge saying you're guilty but it's also God carrying out the execution of the sentence in hell. And now there's no condemnation for you. So now we can go on to an extremely important word, and the word is now. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. Amazing. Um, what does the word now mean uh, in this? Well, it's a little word in Greek. It's noon, N-U-N, noon. Uh, now Christ has died for us. So if you look at verse 3, uh, part of the now thing is kind of like, now, finally. You know, kind of like you're waiting for your birthday, kids. You know, uh, Brayden's birthday is in October, so I know he's waiting. It's coming up soon. And, and on that day, it can be like, now, finally, I get to open my presents. Or maybe, maybe you know, Christmas is coming, and, and you're like, how many days, Mom? How many days, Dad? It, it's coming, you know, 24, 23, 22. And then the day comes, and it's like, finally, here it is. And, and, and now has kind of that flavor to it, because if you look at verse 3, uh, it says in verse eight, Romans 8, verse 3, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering, and so he what? He condemned sin in the flesh. 
He condemns sin in the flesh. So when it says, now there's no condemnation for you, the reason for that is Jesus condemned sin. Uh, Jesus' flesh took the condemnation of sin. Okay? So it's like, finally Christ has died. Finally you can be free from this condemnation. Finally. And so what it means is, it's the same thing the writer of Hebrews says. All those bulls and goats, all the sacrifices in the Old Testament, they don't actually cover sin. You know, they don't actually deal with it's an animal. Animals can't cover sin. You know, and it's not like if I lie to my wife, I have to take my dog and well, let's not talk about that. But you know, you don't have to take an animal and kill it. That won't work. It just doesn't work. And, and so even though God told them to do that in the Old Testament, it all looked forward to Christ who would come and be the sacrifice. So it's like, finally, now, because before it was all animals, and animals don't really do the trick. I mean, yeah, they, they were kind of like, it's kind of like you're on, you're on credit until Christ comes, you know? You kill the animal, your sins are on credit, and finally Christ pays the bill. That, that's the Old Testament sacrificial system. Now, the other part of the now, which is, which is really awesome, is it's kind of like now and forevermore, kind of like, you know, uh, your wedding day, you get married, and, and, and you some, maybe the men don't think, I think the women do, maybe the men don't. You kind of look into the future, and you're like, now and forever, you know, or when you have your, when you have your child, you know, and you look at them, and you can just, you, they, haven't, they haven't had any experiences yet except being held by you and being in the womb, and yet you're, you're like, I can see their whole future light in, in front of me, you know? I mean, it's like now and, and all the way through life. And, and that's, the, that's the idea here. Look at verse 34. You can see that in verse 34. Let's get there. Who then is the one who condemns? By the way, uh, there is someone who does condemn, and, and tries to condemn, I mean. Tries is the key word there. That would be Satan. You know, Romans 12, or not Romans, Revelation 12.10 says, He is the accuser. He accuses the, the brethren, in other words, the body of Christ, night and day. He's accusing the church night and day. And day, Satan's always accusing. So then in verse 32, um, it's like, well, I'm sorry, where was I at? 34, sorry. Um, who is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Friends, um, a lot of talk this week about the Pope and uh, I'm not about to make a lot of political judgments on what he said, uh, but one of, the, one of our basic understandings as an evangelical, as a Protestant church is, we need no one to intercede for us except Jesus himself. So, someone amen, I think. Um, yeah, yeah. We, and with all due respect, if you have a Catholic background, or if you're here today and you're with a family member, I know that happens a lot here, um, no disrespect, but this, the, the biblical teaching is Christ is the intercessor. He speaks to the Father for us. He's the one when, when, when you're struggling with sin, you can talk to him and he says, I get it, I've been there, I've felt that temptation, I can help you. Um, and sometimes I read verse 34 and I'm thinking, you know, Jesus intercedes. I, I don't need Mary to do interceding. I don't need a saint to do interceding. I have Christ himself talking to the Father for me. And, and I, I don't know. I used to read this verse, and I used to think it was kind of like Jesus saying uh, to the Father, Dad, 
don't get mad at Niall, Dad. You know, don't, don't, don't do that. You know, don't smite him, you know, whatever that would be. Um, and, uh, you know, so like I dodged a lightning bolt because, because Christ said, Dad, don't do that. But if, if God loves and sent his son to die for me, I'm not sure that's... I haven't found another verse that backs that up, that, that, that the Father's looking at me saying, I'm just about ready to pound him if he does that one more time. You know how we do as parents, you know? I'm going to ground you one more time. If I wait one more minute, you know... Um, I don't see the Father looking at us going, I, was ju- I had a lightning bolt in my hand like Zeus, you know? Um, and then Jesus saying, Dad, back off. Come on, man. I died for that guy, you know? I, I, don't, I don't see that. I mean, maybe you can correct me afterwards and show me the verse. But I think it's more Satan accusing us. I mean, I have verses for that. Again, Revela- uh, Revelation 12 says, Satan is going before God and saying, look what he did. Look what she did. Why would you bless them? Why would you do this? Why, you know, they've got it coming. But then, as Satan says that, there's someone standing to the right side of the Father. He's, he's standing there. I don't even know if he needs to say anything. You know, does he have to? I mean, it says intercede, so I guess he does say something. But he, he's just there. He's just there. And he can say, No, remember? Remember what I did for him? Remember what I did for her? And Satan has to be silenced by that because the price has been fully paid. Again, another distinction between us and Catholics is this. If I was invited to see the Pope, it would be an honor. I, I'd be, I'd, I would look at that as an honor to, to meet an important man. But to shake his hand, to be blessed by him, Christ has already done that. Christ has given you every spiritual blessing they're already yours. In fact, Paul can say, you're seated with Christ in the, in, in the heavenlies. I don't even know what that means fully, but I've received everything I need from Christ already. So to line up to be blessed by a holy man doesn't give me anything more than what I already have in Christ. That, that's just the Bible. That's just the Bible. Again, no disrespect meant. But Christ is interceding for me and for you. And when you, on your worst day, Christ still stands up there and says, nope, we're not going to punish that one. We're not. I died. I died. Now, you can also read Hebrews and see that there's discipline when you sin, and discipline can be very unpleasant. I'm not talking about that. You know, the father, every good father disciplines his kids. And we get that too. And sometimes it is painful. Keep that in mind. Um, the other thing you've got in this, um, what can I show you? There's one other person interceding for you, if I can find it really quick. Here's where my sharpness is, is uh, not a good thing. Um, look at verse 14 of chapter 8 of Romans. Uh, for those that are led by the Spirit of God or the children of God, the Spirit you receive does not make you slaves. Let's see, if you go down to, uh, you know, I'm not seeing it now. That's the problem. The interceding. Someone call out the verse in Romans 8. 26. Thank you. That's the one I'm looking for. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Think about that. Not only is Jesus interceding, but the Spirit is interceding for you. You know? You've got two members of the Trinity working on your behalf. When you don't even know what to say, the Spirit's saying it for you. It's awesome. It's awesome. 
So there's, that's, that's the amazing part about now. You know, the word now, it means Christ died, so finally now. And it means from now on, once you're in Christ, this is you from now on. This is where you're at. This is the now on thing. Okay, we did the now. Um, let's talk about in Christ Jesus briefly. When it says you're in, it says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, which means some people are in or some people are not. But I want you to know that the little phrase in Christ Jesus means you are united to Christ. You know, you've been crucified with Christ, Galatians says. Uh, and now you don't live, Christ lives in you. So, so when Christ died on the cross, you died with him. You're united to him. And so when God looks at you, he sees Christ. So, so you're in him. Good thing to cover as we go on here, okay? So... Let's talk about the law. Number five, the law. Now, verse two is interesting because I, I don't think we ever talk this way in church. So it's like, what does this mean? Because through Christ Jesus, the law, the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. The law. Okay? Now, what's the law of the spirit? You know? I mean, usually, I think in a lot of evangelical churches that are not Pentecostal, there's even a fear of the Holy Spirit. Like, you know, if we, if we get too much in the Spirit, something might happen. But then you've got a verse like this that's like, the law of the Spirit? The law? And the law of sin? I didn't know there was a sinful law. You know, remember that, remember that Bible that was published at some point that they forgot the word not and thou shalt not commit adultery? There was one that was published once. It's a sinner's Bible. Um, and they forgot the word not in thou shalt not commit adultery. So, um, we're... A sinful law, a spirit law. You know, what does that mean? Well, kids, it's like this. Uh, you know how your parents make rules for you? And if you break the rules, what happens? You get grounded. How many of you had the TV taken away from you? TV's been taken away. Yeah, Andrew, yep, yep, yep. That's what I do when, to Andrew when he misbehaves, Pastor Andrew. I say, no TV. Go home, go to your room. <laughs> okay, um... How many of you have to do more chores when you get in trouble, kids? More chores, anybody? More chores? Yeah, yeah. How many of you don't do them? No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. All right, all right. Um, when parents make a rule, the assumption is that they have both the power and the authority to carry it out, right? So, so if, if parents say, lights out is at 9.30, and if you're up till 9.45, they could come into your room and say, now you're grounded, and now you don't get to watch TV today. And they can hide the remote or unplug the TV or whatever they need to do, but they got power and authority to carry out what they've told you. And so it is with God, and so it is with law. When we talk about the law of the Spirit, the law of sin, we're talking about a rule that has power and authority over you. Both power and authority. Okay, now let's take a look. This is like the meat of, 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 of everything I'm saying right here. It's going to be good. So check this out. You've got the law of the Spirit versus the law of sin and death. This is number six. And, and Jim, if you could be ready with those pictures that I gave you too. Do you have the pictures? You got them. Okay, good. Um, the law of the Spirit versus the law of sin and death. I almost think it's like a boxing ring, you know, and you think like, in this corner, it's the law of the Spirit, power and authority. Over here, there's the law of sin and death, power and authority, and now they're going to box. And who's going to win? How do we understand what's happening here with these laws 
what's going on. Well, first of all, we've got to talk about Moses' law. If we can pull, pull up that slide. Moses' law um, is like a... Uh, no, I'm sorry. If you go back to Moses' law first, then we'll get the slide. It's, it's the might right one, Moses' law. And then we'll look at the teacher. Actually, you can leave the teacher up. Leave the teacher up. We'll just talk through that. All right. Under Moses' law, in your notes, you have the word right and might. Um, Moses' law has a lot of... It's all right. You could put a yes by right. By might, it doesn't have might. Okay? It's right with no might. It's kind of like a teacher. Um, if you're taking a test in school and you need help with something, you can go up to your teacher and you say, uh, Mr. or Mrs. or Miss, I don't understand this test question. And they can take you and say, here's what the question means. Now go sit down and do the question. No, no, I need help with the question. No, this is a test. Go sit down and do the question. I'll, I'll explain the question to you, but I can't do the question for you. All right? Some of you have flashbacks. We have some teachers in the room, right? I, th- I think we do. I can't answer this question for you. This is a test. This is what Moses' law does. It says, let me tell you what's right. Let, let, me, tell you, let, me, let me tell you what the question means. But oh, by the way, I can't help you do it. Okay? You, you follow me there? Because, think about this. We've all lied, and in your rooted groups, many of you started with the question, talk about a lie that you told as a kid. We started with that question. We were laughing, you know. I don't think everybody was laughing, but most of us were laughing. And, and we're telling these stories we told lies as a kid. Now, think about this. You told a lie, and, and you got in trouble for it. And you knew it was wrong. And maybe your dad even said, the Bible says thou shalt not lie. And you, okay, I got it, Dad. Got it. But then you told another lie. Some of you had multiple lies that you told that you were able to share that night. And I think when you talk about a lie when you were a kid, it's kind of funny because you were a kid. And, and, and kids tell funny lies, you know, kind of, maybe. Um, when you're an adult... If I said, tell me a lie that you told last week, none of us would have been laughing. Because that feels more serious. I mean, you're, you're like, what? You're 46? You're 52? And you're, you're 65? And, and you lied to that person last week? You've been lying since you were this tall, and, and now you're like, and you're still lying? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Did any of you ever wake up and say, I will never lie again, ever, and it was so? Why doesn't that work? Because Moses' law says, do not lie. Thou shalt not bear false witness. It can't help you not lie. It can't help you tell the truth. It's just a law. It points out what's right. It has no might. Next picture. Uh, Right, yes. uh, Yeah, there you go. Sin's law. <clears throat> is it right? No. Does it have might? Yes. Let's talk about sin's law for a second, and we'll get our next picture, the army picture. We have some that are in the army here too. Will, this is totally for you right here. The army's not sinful, okay, but I've got to use it as an example. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, the army picture. Do we have that one? There we go. Army. <clears throat> army. 
I have nothing against the army. I'm, they're, just a, they're just a convenient example for me. In the army, if you get mobilized, you've got to go. I mean, there's no like, I don't feel like it today. I'd like to sleep in today. Mom grounded me today. You know what I mean? It's like, you've got to go. Sorry, see ya. And, and if they send you somewhere where, where the battle is hot, you've got to go fight. And, and we're praying for you. And, and, and we know you're fighting for, for good causes, you know, the cause of liberty in the world. I mean, this is all good stuff. But if the army says go, you've got to go. And if the army says fight in this country, and by the way, there's going to be people shooting back at you, that's a real deal. And you've got to go and you've got to fight. You're in the army. This is what sin does. It has power and authority, and it says, you will sin. You will go there and do that. I'm telling you to. And you say, yes, I'll go. And then it takes another step. And by the way, I have the authority to send you into a place called hell, spiritual death. It's the law of sin and death. Sin leads to death. And sin says, I can send you there. Just keep doing what I'm doing. I will take you there and you will perish. Follow my way. Sin is not right, but it has a lot of might. And it can take you to those places very, very easily. So now you've got in one side the law of sin and death versus the law of the Spirit. Uh, law of the Spirit's next. Uh, Spirit's law is right, and it has might. Picture. The last picture. Soup kitchen. Yeah. Ever worked in a soup kitchen? Ever been in an urban area and had to serve the meal to the people coming into the line? I've been there. I've done that. Here's your meal. God bless you. God loves you. Here it is. I've been in Minneapolis, you know, serving people like that. People are in need. People need a meal. People come in off the street. They, they, don't, they don't look nice. They don't smell nice. I've done the thing where you serve them, and then later on you, you get your own little soup, and then you go and you, you, you sit down and you talk to them. You, know, you sit down at a table and engage them in conversation. That's the Holy Spirit. Serving people that don't have a meal is both the right thing to do, but, but it's also mighty because it gives you something you couldn't get on your own, right? You can't get the soup on your own. The Spirit's serving it out to you. You've got nothing. You're spiritually bankrupt as a person. That's what the Bible says, by the way. Uh, Blessed are the poor in spirit. You've got nothing. The Spirit's serving up the soup of grace. You better drink it down. You better eat every bite. So when we de-emphasize the Spirit in the church, which we should not do, we're de-emphasizing the person who wants to empower us to live the way God called us to live. How do you live a life for Christ? Holy Spirit. That's it. That's all you got. He's the Spirit that brings life. And, he, and So you put Him in the boxing ring, you know, the law of, uh, of sin and death versus the law of the, uh, of the Spirit. He wins. Because it says He sets us free. He wins. You don't always see Him win in your life, do you? Sometimes you stubbornly give in to sin. But he's stronger. Romans 8 also says, and I'm not going to try to find it because my memory is not as good as it should be. Um, Romans 8 also says, he's the spirit who raised Christ from the dead. So, how did the Trinity work on Resurrection Sunday? 
Well, the Father was in heaven, Jesus' body was on earth, and the Spirit came in and raised him back to life. The Spirit did that. The Spirit made the resurrection happen. And it says, that's the Spirit that's living in you right now. Who's going to win? Who's going to win? The law of sin and death or the law of the Spirit? What are you choosing to submit yourself to? The law of sin or the law of the Spirit? The winner, I think, is obvious. It needs to be obvious, at least. Okay, and then finally on the Spirit, this is great. The Holy Spirit not only frees us, this is number seven, from the law of sin and death, but he also gives resurrection life. That's what I was just referring to. Um, so it's, it's not like the Holy Spirit says, condemnation has been canceled, you're on your own now. It's that it's replacing condemnation. It's replacing it. It's saying, I'm now going to give you new life. Not just a not guilty verdict, but new life. I'll help you live the way God has called you to live. So if the Holy Spirit's doing this, what, what, what needs to happen next? And this is kind of my, here's, here's your application. If there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, how do I live a no, no condem- condemnation kind of life? Put the first one up there. Therefore, there is now no condemnation in your marriage. Unfortunately, you married a sinner. Some are bigger than others. And you've had to face the reality that you've got to forgive that person to move forward. How do you do that? How do you forgive the person you're married to when they've hurt you, when they've sinned against you? You fight with this verse. No condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. If Jesus doesn't condemn you, then I can let you off the hook too. But don't get me wrong, you might need premarital counseling and, and, and you might need good accountability. You might need some boundaries to be in your marriage. All those things are probably really good things to think about. But how do you get to the point of forgiving that person? Romans 8.1. If Jesus doesn't condemn her, why are you? If God's not going to send a lightning bolt to zap him, why are you trying to get him back? No condemnation. Uh, next one. Therefore, there is now no condemnation in your parenting. Your parenting. Do you have kids that are grown up not following the Lord? That, that's some of our story here. Have you ever tried to trace it back and say, where did I go wrong? Don't do it. Because therefore, there's now no condemnation on your parenting. And by the way, you'd probably not be able to find the source anyway. I mean, I mean, yeah, certainly, I know, there are parents that have done some abusive things. And you may need to deal with that. And, and I've talk, I talked to a young man once who said, my, my Christian father abused me. And I, now I'm married, I don't feel like I can go back to his house unless he admits that. He won't admit it. He will not admit it. Okay? Uh, now, in some ways, yeah, you've got you to take care of the offenses in your parenting if they're clear. But if you're trying to trace that, that, that terrible moment where it all went wrong, and you're trying to figure that out, you're just going to go in circles. There's no condemnation. Let that stuff go. Let it go. Look at how you can build your relationship with your child now instead of trying to figure out that moment where it went bad. There's no condemnation. Next one. 
Therefore, there's no condemnation in your actions. Some of you remember what you did back then, and it just kills you. It still brings tears to your eyes. And and you can hardly talk about it. You don't even want to think about it. Some of you, I've had those moments where, like, I knew I was going to talk to somebody about the gospel, and and I almost felt like I was being, right before I went into it, I felt like I was being reminded by Satan of my sins. It's almost like I had a little slideshow going on, Niall's worst moments, you know, click, click, here, here are all the pictures, you know. You ever have that? Satan's good at that. Click, here's another picture. Click, kids that don't, haven't seen a slideshow, they have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> right? Click, slide, click, slide. There they are. There are the worst moments of your life where you failed. And Christ says, no condemnation. Keep moving. Throw off what is behind. Strive for what is ahead. Let it go. No condemnation. And if you think that gives you a license to sin, you don't understand grace the way grace works. Grace not only covers your sin, but grace makes you want to not sin. That's what grace does. No condemnation. Um, Wasn't it Martin Luther that said sin boldly? I I never knew what he meant, but maybe he means something like this. You know, you're not condemned. When you sin, you can be bold and say, I'm done with that, you know, and I don't know. I've always wrestled with that. Um, next slide. Therefore, there is now no condemnation in your sickness. Some of you are sick. Some of you have minds that are not as sharp as they once were. Some of you are failing in a certain area in your health. And maybe you've had the voice, or maybe it was a friend like Job had that said, righteous people don't go through this kind of stuff. People that are close to the Lord don't suffer the way you're suffering. That is satanic. Okay? That's what that is. That's not of God. If you were a better Christian, then you wouldn't be sick today. It can't be true, friends, because there's no condemnation. God's not condemning you. Now, James does tell us Sometimes we get sick because we, God wants us to look at a sin and confess it, like an unconfessed sin. That happens where there's a sin that's standing out and you're not repenting because you're stubborn. That can happen. And I've, seen, I've seen it happen to family members of mine. It's painful to be in that place. And I've had a family member call another family member and say, I have cancer. I don't know why, but I do know I've held bitterness in for this many years. I just need to confess it. Okay? I mean, there's that. There's that. But over on this side, often for a Christian, very often, it can just be no condemnation. God is trusting trusting you to suffer well as Job suffered in a righteous way. Don't play the accusing game. You search your heart. Confess your sins. Make sure those are right. But don't get into that cycle of, I know it was what I did five years ago. That's what's going on today. No. No condemnation. Next one. Uh, uh, Last one. Therefore, there is now no condemnation or separation in your relationship with God. What did we read in Romans 8 at the end there? Verse 37 And all these things are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, 
neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No condemnation means no separation. That's what it means. If God doesn't condemn you, it means He wants to be with you forever, both in this life going into the next. That's the truth. There's nothing standing between you and God anymore when you accept that. Those of you that think that, that God is the, always the angry Father in heaven, that's not the right image. He doesn't condemn you anymore. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes now? And worship team, would you come up and like do the memory?